Hey y'all. So when it comes to bodies, weight loss is not really something that I'm pursuing right now. But as you know, one of Vanessa's family members has been taking a GLP-1 medication and it's worked really well for him. So if that is part of your journey, you should check out the Roe Body Program. Roe provides access to the most popular weight loss shots on the market. Roe's partner handles all the insurance paperwork to help get the medication covered. If eligible for medication, patients have access to their provider on demand for any questions. Go to ro.co slash infamous. Sign up today and you'll pay just $99 for your first month and $145 a month after that. Medication costs are separate. That's ro.co slash infamous. Campsite Media. So when we left off last episode, Sergey Brin was at Google X, his top secret lab, where he was working on a top secret project. But now, it's not a secret anymore. So I had written the story for the Times about them working on the secret, these secret glasses. Tech writer Nick Bilton. And it had come out right at the time when they were trying to decide if they wanted to get these things out into the world. And they have to test it in the real world because they can't just test it in a garage or a lab forever. But if they bring it out into the real world, people are going to see it. So they were trying to figure out, do we, do we, you know, go somewhere secret and just, you know, use it in a pilot program to test it out? Do we give it to certain people in high-tech, high-secret situations? Um, and then I, I, you know, broke the news about it. And, and there was a big meeting internally where they said, all right, well, we, now it's in the Times, like, and it's out there. We should announce it. And everyone said we should we should make it a small announcement. We should it should just let's not play it up because if we play it up, people are going to think this is going to be a huge core part of our business. And Sergey said, "Yeah, yeah, I totally agree." And he goes, "I'll I'll handle it." In June 2012, in a giant convention center in San Francisco, Sergey strides on stage. Sergey's definitely the dreamer. Like he kind of fancies himself as like a as a as a Tony Stark kind of character, like skin tight black outfits. You've seen some really compelling demos here. They were slick. They were robust. This is going to be nothing like that. Five thousand or so nerds, just loud music, feet clapping. It's like a football stadium. So tell me now, who wants to see a demo of Glass? <laughs> It's just sheer chaos. You literally could not have found a more bombastic way to, to show off a product than the way that Sergey chose to, to show off Google Glass. Standing in front of the crowd, Sergey is wearing a pair of Google Glasses in public for the first time. So we've been really excited to test it for a few months. The unit I actually really want to show you, uh, I lent to a friend, and, and he's actually pretty close by. He's just about a mile overhead right now. If you could, guys can maybe Wait that couple minutes. Maybe they'll bring him down. There's this big screen behind Sergey, and it fills with the image of a Zeppelin. Two guys are inside, and they're wearing athletic gear, parachute backpacks, and of course, a pair of Google glasses. I got a few thousand people here. I was hoping to, uh, to maybe get that unit I lent you down here, and I thought maybe you guys could show us a fun time on the way down. I've been listening to your speech uh, through the hangout. It's pretty cool. The skydiver looks out the window of the Zeppelin 
And suddenly, the image switches to a bird's eye view of the city, which is really his view through his glasses. People have watched us fly many times before, but I don't think that the world's ever tagged along live for a ride. We're all rooting okay. for you. What do you guys think? Should they go for it? Now the men not only jump out of the Zeppelin, but they parachute onto the roof of this very convention center. First one's coming in. All right. There's some mountain bikes waiting there, so they grab them. Hey, so the roof is a little bit big there, so we got actually a few bikers up there for this eventuality. We got them wearing glass too. Here are the bikers. Hop on, yeah. ride Ooh. to the edge of the roof of the convention center, and then down. belay down the side of the building. Don't try this at home, kids. These are trained professionals. Product launches at the time were you know, Apple had mastered them under Steve Jobs. They were exciting, but they, were, they weren't they were skydivers and, you know, people jumping off roofs. And, like, you know, they were they were like a, a, a black sheet covering a, a beautiful new iPad that was pulled off like a magic trick. This performance demo was unlike anything the company had done before. It was less like a magic trick and more like an evil Knievel stunt. It seemed like an idea dreamed up by someone looking for attention. Someone who was, maybe, in the midst of a crisis. From Campside Media and Sony Music Entertainment, I'm Vanessa Grigoriadis, and this is Infamous. You're listening to episode two of our two-part series, Good Genes. So last episode, we heard all about how Ann Wojcicki got her company, 23andMe, off the ground. This company offered at-home genetic testing kits. Each human has between 20,000 and 25,000 genes. This collection, called a genome, determines a person's traits by influencing factors on a cellular level. It is within those genes that chemical compounds provide the coding for all information about a person's inherited traits. Because of Anne's DNA test, perhaps, Sergei found out he was at increased risk for Parkinson's. Now, as I mentioned last episode, this didn't mean that Sergei would definitely develop Parkinson's. It just meant he had a genetic predisposition to it. Scientists are still trying to understand how our genes get switched on or off, depending on our lifestyle and environment. The environment, and very specifically, our perception of the environment, changes our genetic activity. It can be really hard to look at an ominous result, like Sergey did, and not feel like it's capital T truth. I mean, it's not like this is a deck of tarot cards. This is science, right? But Anne seemed to position this news as a gift. There is information there about things you can do to prevent Parkinson's. This knowledge meant that Sergey could make positive lifestyle changes to lower his chances of developing Parkinson's. And he did. He has lost weight, he is eating vegetables, and he is trying to drink a little bit of coffee. Those things are great for his health regardless. Okay, that's the pragmatic way of looking at it, and clearly the right way. But there's another side to the argument, and it's one that storytellers have been warning us of for millennia. 
In the ancient Greek story about King Croesus, who was trying to decide whether or not to attack the mighty Persian Empire, Croesus consulted the Oracle of Delphi, who had this message for him. If you send an army against the Persians, you will destroy a great empire. Croesus feels emboldened, and he attacks. But what he doesn't realize is that the great empire he would destroy would be his own. The point is, when we think we know the future, we tend to stop making decisions based on what's actually happening in the present. Now, Sergei's fixation on health, the dark leafy greens, the exercise, was probably positive. But he also seemed, to me, to fixate on how he would leave his mark on the world. And how would he do that? Google Glass. My vision when we started Google uh, 15 years ago was that eventually you wouldn't have to have a search query at all. And this is now 15 years later, sort of the first form factor that I think can deliver that vision. But what he didn't seem to understand was the world saw it as a joke pretty much from the beginning. The glasses just seemed useless. Nobody could figure out what they were for. So what do you get for your $1,500? You can't do full searching of web pages. You can't watch videos on here. You can't do a lot of things that you can do on your smartphone. It doesn't have a cellular connection. Google recommends for the first week at least you only wear it for about an hour a day due to eye strain. Critics immediately raised some pretty glaring privacy concerns. How do I know if you're recording me or taking a picture of me? And the fact is, no one really knows. There's no red light when a video is being recorded. There's no flash or noise when a picture is taken. And it was just so, so uncool. Though there was one person who looked good in them. Hi, everyone. My name's Amanda Rosenberg. I'm Google's mobile business development manager. More after the break. Back in the 90s, Pepsi and Coca-Cola were in a heated race to try and win loyal customers by any means necessary. But when Pepsi launched an ambitious promotion that encouraged people to buy Pepsi and redeem points for prizes, they overlooked their own fine print in a major way. On each episode of Wondery's podcast, The Big Flop, comedians join host Misha Brown to chronicle one of the biggest pop culture fails of all time and try to answer the age-old question. Who thought this was a good idea? Like, who at Pepsi thought it would be a good idea to advertise that people could earn enough points to redeem a military jet as a prize? When they launched their Pepsi points system, they never imagined somebody might actually try to snag it. But a 23-year-old did, and suddenly, Pepsi owed him a jet. Follow The Big Flop on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen to The Big Flop early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus. Anybody who has a sibling knows that sibling fights are unavoidable. But what if every fight you had was under a microscope, on a global scale? That's the reality for brothers Prince Harry and Prince William. They'd been each other's closest friends and allies since the death of their mother. But that all began to crack as they married and took wildly different approaches to their royal duties. Wandry's podcast, Disentel, is hosted by comedians Sidney Battle and Matt Belisai. Each episode unpacks one of pop culture's most iconic celebrity feuds, 
and they recently took a deeper look into the real reason William versus Harry started. It's actually much bigger than these two brothers, stretching back into the history of the British monarchy. Did their feud start with the royal family's mistreatment of Meghan Markle? Or was it something that began much earlier? Follow Dis and Tell on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You're listening to Infamous from Campside Media. Amanda Rosenberg was a Google employee in her mid-20s. She'd grown up in Britain with Chinese and Jewish roots. And in the UK, she attended the same boarding school as Kate Middleton. She'd quickly risen up the ranks at Google to become a marketing manager. She seemed like the main cheerleader for Google Glass. When I talked to some of her former colleagues and industry observers, they told me that she had a public persona within the company. She was an attention seeker with ambition. Does anybody do Sudoku puzzles? Hands up. Don't be ashamed. Yes, we all do. Um, so I do, um, but I'm, I'm pretty bad. Amanda did seem like she was doing a good job with Google Glass. She started modeling the glasses at events and on social media. Google Glass may not always look so geeky. The lead designer for Glass posting a picture on her Google Plus page of another Google employee wearing some relatively normal-looking frames. The person wearing the frames, by the way, Amanda Rosenberg. Now, Amanda had a boyfriend of her own. He was a high-ranked executive at Google, Hugo Barra, the face of Android's new mini tablet. Nexus 7 is the world's first 7-inch tablet with a quad-core processor. With a powerful tablet like this, every touch matters. I do want to note for a second how odd it is that human people at Google were the faces of different kinds of technology. It feels like the movie Her, where Joaquin Phoenix falls in love with his operating system, voiced by Scarlett Johansson. It's humanizing technology in a way that's a little too close for comfort. Regardless, you may have already guessed where this whole story is going. Anna and Sergey are still married, but now there's an attractive 26-year-old woman in the midst. And everything was about to blow up spectacularly. Google's Sergey Brin is facing a story right out of the pages of the gossip magazines. Brin and his wife of six years, Anne Wajiki, have separated. And this comes amid reports that Brin is having an affair with a Google staffer. Brin's rumored sweetheart is 26-year-old Amanda Rosenberg. To make matters even more complicated, the very same day that news of Sergey and Anne's split broke, Google announced that Hugo Barra, Amanda's now ex-boyfriend, was leaving Google. Executive Hugo Barra recently announced his departure from the company for a job with China's Xiaomi. Barra's exit was not related to Rosenberg's alleged relationship with Brin. Well, I don't know what to say about that. And also, even though Sergey and Amanda were now openly dating at the company, they were both still working at Google X. A source told me some people were furious internally, especially women, that Sergey and Amanda weren't separated professionally. It does hurt Sergey's credibility a little bit. I mean, he's been a public face of Google, always one of the more kind of idealistic voices at Google. But as Nick Bilton said, being a billionaire, it's just not all it's cracked up to be. And you reach for all sorts of things to make yourself feel better, like romantic partners. Google had a real tradition of that, in fact. 
several of the top execs dated fellow employees. Like Larry Page dating Marissa Meyer. And earlier, a man named Eric Schmidt had been brought in to run Google while Larry and Sergey were messing around. They call it adult supervision in corporate America. As Google CEO, he was the only candidate who went to Burning Man. Valleywag journalist Owen Thomas. And if you know Burning Man, it's basically very free love, open relationships, polyamorous configurations of every which way you can imagine. And like creativity and weirdness and a lot of of things that's hard to complain about. When you take Burning Man and transport it to Amphitheater Parkway in Mountain View, the context is different. You can't just take Burning Man and plop it down in the Googleplex and expect everything to be okay. Needless to say, this lifestyle of free love didn't really translate to a hierarchical workplace with very real power imbalances. But Google execs were allegedly doing it anyway. The message that was being sent from the very top was that it was fine. Even the chief legal officer had a questionable relationship. If you go up the line of the people who might enforce such a policy, like, all of them had issues along these lines. More after the break. I've always struggled with finding time to manage my finances. At the end of a busy week, the last thing I want to do is spend time budgeting all of my expenses or tracking down customer service teams to cancel old subscriptions I no longer use. But now I use Rocket Money and it does all that for me. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending and helps lower your bills so that you can grow your savings. With Rocket Money, I have full control over my subscriptions and a clear view of my expenses. I can see all my subscriptions in one place, and if I see something I don't want, Rocket Money can help me cancel it with just a few taps. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has saved a total of $500 million in canceled subscriptions, saving members up to $740 a year when using all of the app's features. Stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com infamous. That's rocketmoney.com infamous. Rocketmoney.com infamous. Have you ever felt like escaping to your own desert island? Jane Gaskin did exactly that, trading in the family home to begin a new life in the tropics. But she soon discovers that paradise has its secrets. I'm Alice Levine, and this is The Price of Paradise, the island dream that ends in kidnap, corruption, and murder. Wish you were here? Follow The Price of Paradise now, wherever you listen to podcasts. This is Infamous from Campside Media. Collateral damage. That's what happens after affairs. Hugo Barra left Google, and whether or not Sergey and Amanda's affair was the reason, imagine your ex-girlfriend dating your boss. Let alone Google founder and one-name guy, Sergey. It's pretty awkward. And Amanda? I'm sure you won't be surprised to hear that she and Sergey broke up quickly. And then she was off on her own, having her personal life blown up in the tabloids. And also, what happened to Anne after Sergey blew up their marriage? She was left to pick up the pieces back in California. 
she went on vacation to Fiji with some girlfriends to get some space, did some yoga while bobbing on the sea. At the same time, her business, 23andMe, went into a tailspin. The FDA had become increasingly concerned. People were learning about their propensity for disease without a doctor present. I asked Anne about this. She sent over a list of studies suggesting that people actually don't freak out when they learn these things from a website instead of a doctor. She added, and this is a quote, 50 years ago, doctors didn't think that women should be able to do at-home pregnancy tests, arguing that a woman finding out that she was pregnant without the guidance of a doctor could behave in a way detrimental to their health. I mean... She makes a good point. But still, their relationship with the FDA was tense. And then 23andMe took another step. They ran their first ever TV ad campaign. I might have an increased risk of heart disease. Arthritis. Gallstones. Order your DNA kit today. The FDA is pissed that they're doing what they feel is an unregulated diagnostic test. And yet they go ahead and, you know, put this thing on TV. That's Adam Bluestein, a journalist who wrote a profile of Anne for the magazine Fast Company. Anne happened to mention to him that the night before, she'd gone to a U2 concert with some friends. And they'd run into a little problem. They get there. She realizes she's forgotten her friend's ticket. She realizes she forgot the backstage passes that they had. And she's, fuck it. We crashed the VIP area. We just went in. We just crashed it. It was a silly anecdote. But in Adam's opinion, it was telling. You could say that Anne's attitude was, you know, better to beg forgiveness than, than to ask permission. Sound familiar? Act rashly. Deal with the consequences later. In November 2013, Anne was at a meeting off-site when she got a text from her assistant. The office had received a package by courier from the FDA. Anne grabbed her phone to text her assistant back, don't sign for it. It's too late, I already did. The FDA had warned 23andMe to stop marketing its genetic tests. So Anne had to take the DNA test off the market. But then she started turning things around. And two years later, 23andMe became the first ever direct-to-consumer company to get authorized by the FDA for genetic health risk reports. Anne says that ultimately, 23andMe was the only company like it to agree to be regulated and work with the FDA. And today, 23andMe is ubiquitous. At-home tests like 23andMe have exploded in popularity. By one estimate, around 26 million people have taken one of these tests. Now, my father also has had the 23andMe testing as well as my children. I am so excited for today's video. I did a 23andMe test. I am doing a super exciting video, and that is 23andMe. And even pulled off a huge coup. 23andMe went public. Now, it was under sort of odd circumstances. Here's Andrew Ross Sorkin to talk about Anne creating a SPAC with Richard Branson. He identifies this company, which looks like it's a fast-growing company, by the way, but also 
questionable what the sort of future of that company looks like, what the future of profits and profit margins might look like. And but but sort of on the back of his reputation and on the back of of the reputation of Anne and this and 23andMe effectively takes the company public via the SPAC. Did I think it was a great deal? I thought on a relative basis to a lot of these other deals, it was more interesting. But the truth is you can look at the stock price of all of these SPACs and they've been just clobbered over the last 12 months. A lot of these people are so driven and I think she in particular is driven. While all this was happening, Anne, who was freshly divorced, got her groove back. She even dated a sort of inappropriate man, another notorious cheat and very famous baseball player, A-Rod. Anne Wojcicki attended the Met Gala together with A-Rod. Their story lasted for almost a year until he met Latin beauty Jennifer Lopez. Sowing her wild oats with an athlete was cool, but Anne ultimately decided she wanted to have another child. But this time, she did it on her own. She said to Forbes, I really wanted a third child. So like, guess what? I executed. Her daughter was born when Anne was 45 years old. Criticism and skepticism is okay. If others don't believe in you, but you have conviction, that's okay. You've probably noticed that Google Glass didn't reshape the world like Sergey Brin envisioned. Ten years after the glasses debuted, nobody's walking around wearing them, not even Sergey. When Nick Bilton published another article in The Times chronicling Google Glass's big, embarrassing descent, the reporting was pretty easy. Rarely do you get people that want to talk to you um, from these tech companies, you know, and as a reporter. And the, 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 you know this, like, there's a few reasons why. Someone wants to talk to you because they have a gripe. Someone wants to talk to you because they, they want their name somewhere and they want their ego to be stripped. There's, like, all these different reasons. But rarely at a place like Google or Apple do people talk. When I wrote the story on the fall of Google Glass, there was a line out my door of people wanting to tell me what had happened. And... What happened? The consistent gripe I heard was that Sergey fucked it up, essentially. Sergey wanted to make it bigger than it should have been. It, he wanted to get it out there. He was clearly going through some sort of crisis, and everyone was suffering as a result of that. It probably wasn't wise to debut Glass with such fanfare. The skydivers, motorcycles, rope belayers, when the product itself was not that great. He acted like someone who had 10 years to live, and he wanted to get it out today. And he just pushed this thing out with skydivers and light shows and press tours and ships in the harbor and you name it. And then also didn't transition it to be a, a typical business because he was embroiled in an affair. And it died a pretty, pretty terrible and pretty quick death. Sergey was trying to make his mark on the world. And in so doing, he made an embarrassing and public mess of Google Glass. It was bludgeoned to death by Sergey Brin. Now, Google Glass would eventually rise from the ashes, but it would be without Sergey Brin. 
2017 saw the release of the Glass Enterprise Edition, aimed at businesses seeking to make their employees more efficient. Global giants like Volkswagen, DHL and Boeing have seen noticeable leaps in efficiency thanks to the reconfigured product. Like a lot of Silicon Valley products that were meant to usher in a sci-fi, techno, utopian future, it's now a tool that bosses can use to track workers' productivity. I mean, it's not a surprise. People were either going to use Google Glass to watch porn in public or somehow for our late capitalist dystopia. And capitalism won out this time. But at least it wasn't used for both. Today, it looks like Sergey is enjoying his billions and his yachts, party hopping around the world like the billionaire burner he is. Whether he's out to dinner at Nobu in Malibu or hula-hooping with a member of Pussy Riot, Bryn seems to be jet-setting without a care in the world. Well, almost without a care. You see, things didn't work out quite as well for Sergey as they did for Anne. He met a woman and got married in 2018, but filed for divorce only three years later. In a divine twist of fate, his wife was rumored to have had an affair with another moonshooting billionaire. The Wall Street Journal published a story this weekend alleging that Elon Musk had an affair with the now ex-wife of his longtime friend, Sergey Brin. The details of this alleged affair just boggle one's mind. Seems like these guys were pretty good friends, right? Totally! Elon Musk and Sergey's wife denied the affair. Sergey remained mum. And who knows what really happened? But one thing's for sure. When it comes to auguring what the future may hold, our genes are only part of the story, and our behavior can play a much bigger role. And one more thing. Karma can be a real bitch. Next time on Infamous. I just couldn't get my head around what like a sex life really looked like there. Like, I th- feel like I think of it as like two iPhones like clatching together <laughs> trying to have sex. <laughs> 